Would you stand with me and let's study 1 Samuel chapter 28 together. This is one of the darkest chapters in the Old Testament. And I'll read the whole of it, but I'll start in verse 3. Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. His heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. He said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me, and he answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I summon you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines." And then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul. And when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life into my hand. I've listened to what you've said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused. He said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. She took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread, and she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And he rose, and he went away that night. This is the word of God. God. Father, we pray that you would work by your word in our hearts. Show us, Jesus, our need for him and the the desperation we ought to have to be those who hear your word for our life and for our salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Samuel has died. It's repeated from chapter 25, so it's a very 
emphatic point in the passage, Samuel the prophet has died. If you've been with us through the whole series, you might go back to the very beginning. Samuel's name means the Lord has heard. Because remember his mother Hannah, she was desperate for a child. She went to the priest and she was praying. And then when the Lord answered her prayer, she, she named her son Samuel, the Lord has heard. So his whole life as a prophet of God was essentially Samuel hearing from the Lord and then speaking the word of the Lord to God's people. When our text starts here and says that Samuel has died, what that says is that Saul is no longer a king who has access to hear the word of the Lord. He certainly has the law of God, but he's rejected the Lord, but he doesn't have a prophet to go to when in need. God is no longer speaking to him by his word, and this is a text of just deafening silence. The text goes very much back to the beginning of the book. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. There was no prophetic word. So we're back to where we started is essentially where the text begins. We are told, though, that at some point in his leadership and reign, Saul had banished necromancers and mediums. So basically witches from the land. Those who would conjure up a message from the dead. Those who would seek some form of divine guidance from alternative spirits. Those had been banished from the land. When did Saul do this? We don't know. Why would he do it? Well, because it's commanded in God's law. He got this right. So we have Leviticus 19 verse 1 or Leviticus 20 verse 6 says, necromancers and mediums must not be in the land. And if anybody turns to them, they'll, they'll be cut off and the face of the Lord will be against them. So Saul's obeying here. Well, let's just enter this for a second. In our world, do we not know people are on a confusing search? for some form of information that gives meaning, that frames this life, or that will guide feelings and thoughts about life outside of this life. This is because Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in human hearts, and we cannot discern what God has done from beginning to end. So if from beginning to end, God has revealed that man has a search to know him, and God is a God who has given revelation from creation through redemption... What is it like for those among the people of Israel who had ears stopped up and hard hearts and couldn't hear from God? Isaiah is sent to people who are not going to hear. Many of the prophets spoke to those who would not hear. What is that experience like when there is obstruction from hearing from God when eternity and understanding things of the divine, of who God is, is set in the heart of man? from the Creator Himself. Well, we see what it can turn into. People will run after all sorts of things. They'll run to mediums, to witches, to necromancers to say, I just need a word. I need to be connected to life after this life. Now, there are some, and I understand and have many friends who are, who would say, I'm a secular humanist. There's nothing outside of this place. I'm an atheist. I'm ambivalent. There are people who say, I'm not looking to hear from God. That, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not interested in the spiritual. Maybe that's the case for some in the room here. We know those are thoughts of folks in our lives. But here's what often happens. That spiritual ambivalence, when a problem comes along, has a major hissy fit of one kind or another. And that's what happens in this passage. Saul ends up with a serious problem 
he realizes he has no safety and he has nowhere to turn. He does not know what to do and there's nothing he can do to fix it. And that's what happens in this text starting in verse 4. He, he has a situation he's faced before. The Philistines have battled him before. But we read in verse 5 that this time his heart trembles greatly. It responds differently. Why might that be? Well, chapter 15, he's been rejected by the Lord. We know that there's no prophet. Samuel's passed. Saul, you can't go to any priest. There's no Urim or Thummim. There's no way to find out what God would guide you because you killed all the priests. And the only living priest, Ahimelech's seed, ran to David and is now with David. Abiathar's not with you, Saul. And he took the Urim and Thummim with him. Saul doesn't know what to do, so he's terrified because of the silence. There may be one other reason he's terrified this time. Saul knows that there's someone else with the Philistines this time. Where's David? David's with the Philistines. David has fled to Gath because Saul is chasing his life. And we read in chapter 27, verse 4, Saul knows David's with them. So he's absolutely terrified. He knows he's on his own. He's utterly alone. Question, when you're utterly on your own and you don't have an answer and there's no fix to satiate your fear, have we not seen people that will do anything, anything just to know what might happen next? Right? To fill the void, to find the answer, to stop the silence, to get some comfort. And that's what Saul does. He disguises himself, seeks a medium. Why does he disguise himself? Well, because it's illegal in his own kingdom. It's immoral against God's holy law. And then thirdly, he has to go through the Philistine camp to find her because she'd been banished from the land. And so you have him disguise himself. He takes off his royal robe. Perhaps this is a symbolic discarding of the role he was asked to play. He's no longer dressed as a king either. He goes to the medium at Endor, and he says, call up for whom I ask. And she says, there's a law in this land. You're asking for me to take my life in his hands. And he says, I promise you, as the Lord lives, no punishment will befall you. Isn't that a sad, ironic statement? As I violate the holy law of God, I swear on the name of the Lord, I'll protect you. One commentator says, from his degenerate state, Saul is orthodox to the last. What he says is orthodox while he violates God's holy law as one who's rejecting the kingdom of God. The woman says, who should I bring up? And he says, Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cries out, you are Saul. For she knew the role of the prophet with the role of the king. She realizes who he is. We need to understand the reason Saul wants Samuel to be the one that she calls up is Samuel was the only one from whom Saul had experienced the satisfying, authoritative word of God in his life. I want you to remember with me some of the scenes we've preached through. I mean, you all know I think it's hilarious, but it's one of my favorite scenes is when Saul tries to go hunt David down and David's with Samuel. And he sends the entourage of his own men, and they end up prophesying. He sends the next entourage of men, and they end up prophesying. And he's like, fine, if you're going to do a job, do it yourself. So he goes, and he ends up stripped naked, lying on the ground, speaking the words of God, just because he's in the presence of Samuel, by whom the Lord speaks. Saul associates Samuel with so much power from God's word. And so in this desperate state of his life, Saul says, if I could just speak to Samuel. He says to the woman, what do you see? She says, I see a God coming up. Actually, it's kind of like an old guy wrapped in a robe. I wonder if Saul looked at her and said, is the robe torn? 
like on the left side? Remember in chapter 15 when Samuel said God's rejected you and Samuel turned to walk away and Saul reached out and grabbed the robe, tore Samuel's robe? There's the man in the torn robe. This is a surprise, isn't it, a little bit, that God would use immoral means that a prophet would come back from the dead to speak to Saul? What do we make of this? Is this a vision or is it real? Wednesday morning, our men group, men's group was there, and I walked in, and we sat for a bit, and they said, so, Jim, what's your take on this whole Samuel and the vision? Augustine, Calvin, and Luther, they don't agree. What's your thought? Yes. I think it's not that far away from Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Jesus. When Moses and Elijah are transfigured there with Christ, they were real enough to Peter, weren't they? They had passed. What we need to know, though, is Samuel is back, which means the word of God is back, which means the presence of God by means of his servant who speaks his word is back. Samuel says, why did you call me up? Saul says, because I need you to tell me what to do. The Philistines are warring against me again. God's turned away from me. No prophets, no dreams. I'm in distress. I've called you up because I need God to speak to me through you again. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary says, the most hopeless misery in all of life is to be abandoned by God. The most hopeless misery in all of life is to be abandoned by God. And so Samuel looks at him and says, it's too late. Why call me now? There's nothing else for me to tell you. Recall your disobedience. Recall that the Lord has torn his kingdom, your kingdom from you and given it to David. Here's what, here's what Samuel says. Saul, you're living in a settled reality. There's nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing you can do to change it. You're living in a settled reality. There's one more thing you need to know, though it won't change your reality, and that is that tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Tomorrow you will die. Fascinating recognition that I had this week. The first words of Samuel in his life, prophetically, and the last words of Samuel in his life, prophetically, are the same message. He was a young boy in the house of Eli, and he got his first vision. And Eli said, tell me exactly what God told you. And Samuel said, you and your sons are going to die because you've profaned the, the altar of God. Now at the end of his life, while well, coming back from the dead, he's going to say the same thing. Saul, you and your sons are going to die. What a message of judgment. I was reading through the Bible this week, Isaiah 28, 19. It will be sheer terror to understand the message. It is sheer terror for Saul to understand this message. He learns there will be no salvation for him. So verse 20, he's full of fear. He falls face down on the ground. He has no strength. There's nothing he can do. No amount of paranoid rage can placate this empty silence that he will not be saved. The only offer of help he has now is temporary from a witch who offers him dinner outside the land of God's people all by himself. I would ask you to take this in. Um, when I knew I was taking study leave and we were mapping the series, I kind of said to Bill and AJ, I was like, oh, I'll be back to preach chapter 28. Because it's important for us to recognize the turning from sin that God does for those who reject him. 
It is important for us to weigh deeply the wrath of God against those who reject Him. The consequence of hard-hearted rejection of the Lord is rejection by the Lord. We don't spend our days in a church service talking to God's people about the gravitas of that reality, but that is reality, the only reality. One commentator says, the text is not gentle, but it is clear. If you despise the word of God, he will take it from you. If you refuse God's speech, you will endure God's silence. The whole narrative of the Bible, we call it narrative of redemption, redemptive history. It is that by his mercy, God is going to save a people for himself by grace through faith alone and not our own righteousness. But that story includes the message of eternal judgment for those who reject the living God. Think of Revelation 21, the end of the Bible, the glorious vision. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, John says. The first heaven and first earth had passed away. I saw a holy city. There was one on the throne. And he said this. He said, the dwelling place of God is now with man. And I will dwell with them, and, I, and they will be my people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We, we love the good news. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Everything bad will be gone. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. But then, same vision of Revelation 21, verse 8. The one on the throne says this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, those whose identity is still in what they've done because they've rejected the offering of identity of being those who've been rescued by the King of mercy, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. After their first death will be eternal death. That's the storyline for Saul here, lived out for us as we enter the text. Now understand, Saul asked for information. Because you might say to yourself, but wait a second, he still wanted something from God. Here's the thing. He asked for information from God, not for communion to be restored with God. That's very different than... You or I coming under the conviction of God's spirit that we're sinners who, who tend to reject the glory of the living God. And Psalm 13:1, the psalmist says, How much longer, Lord, will you go on forgetting me? But to whom does the psalmist turn when he feels forgotten by the Lord? He turns to the Lord. He doesn't ask for more information from the Lord about how I handle this particular dilemma in life while I continue to live in my own kingdom that's rejecting you. Very different. Understand, when some people finally get around to wanting to hear something from God, some new measure of information about what to do now or what might come next, because nothing else has worked, there in God's sovereign design will be people who hear, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are Jesus' words, Luke 7, 23. So people of God, and this is going to be our close up, there's a time when the clock runs out. There's a time when hard hearts that reject God are hardened by God and cannot do anything but cry out for temporary help. When they realize the God of self and the kingdom of self is impotent 
and contemporary and is a mirage. As the church, we need to weigh the consequences of rejection of the Creator and Lord. Death away from the presence of God forever is the ultimate consequence. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So, so here's the reality. The, the silence from God in this text should scream at us at an incalculable volume. Do you, do you feel that with me? If we go all the way back and look at this man, Saul, do you remember the first time he was introduced? He was hiding behind the luggage because he had a fear of man problem. Heads and shoulders above everyone else. This is the one everybody wanted, but he was afraid of people. His fear of people had to be something he would constantly satisfy. And then before you knew it, he turned into a ruthless man of wicked proportion who would murder whole villages and didn't do what he said. Do you understand with me the descent of sin we've seen in this book and where it ends? Well, we're the church, so we, the church, love that the Word of God shows us the good news of Christ our King and our Savior through the text that we study. So here's a question. Where's the Christ figure in this text? Where's Jesus and how do we preach the gospel from it? I didn't read the verses, but I will tell you the Christ figures in this chapter. Listen as I read verse 1 and 2. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, the king of Gath, one of the Philistine leaders, very well, wait till you see what your servant will do. Okay, here's a question. If David's the Christ figure, what's the state of his relation to Saul in this chapter? Is he there to rescue him? Is he there to welcome him into his group of 600 that seeking the kingdom of God? No, the state of relation between the Christ figure and Saul is that the Christ figure is lined up against him to go to war against him. There is no salvation in this chapter. Jeremiah gives us a warning. Jeremiah 7, verse 8. He says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known? And then are you going to come and stand before me in this house, which is called by name, my name, and say, We're delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. So the one thing that we need to see, church, is there is a warning in this text to run to the king for rescue and to be aware of when our sin, unrepented of, is positioning the king against us. The other thing I need to ask you is, does this text not give you desire to be a witness? In this passage, we see the utter hopelessness of hopelessness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, remember that when you were separated from Christ, you had no hope and were without God in this world. This is a chapter that shows us what no hope looks like. And sadly, many times we would often rather have no awkwardness than to go speak to someone we wonder is living with no hope. Would you spend yourself and be spent? as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12. To say something, to pursue, to trust God's work 
Only God can convert a heart. He knows who are his. But would you be willing to go talk to those in your life who are in utter hopelessness and are looking to hear some word from some place, somewhere? And they need to hear God's word through you. Now, we're going to close up. There is the gospel hinted in this text pretty boldly. Salvation's not in this text, but the, sal- the, the Savior is hinted in this text. This is what I would call Saul's anti-communion. It's his last night before he dies. And he has someone else make dinner for him. He is spent of his strength. And tomorrow he is going to die by the judgment of God. Does that sound eerily similar to the gospel of Jesus? Who the night before his death, when he was spent of his strength, he had dinner prepared for him called the Passover, and he would die the next day by the judgment of God. But it wouldn't be God's judgment against his sin. It would be God's judgment against his people's sin. And Saul has heard nothing but silence from God. And when Jesus would die his death, did he not say, Father, why are you forsaking me? Why do I in this moment hear nothing but silence from you? Jesus had his last supper unto death as a substitute for us. So now go back to the beginning of my words. Would you spend time in God's word to see more and more of Christ? to understand his law and how we tend to reject his kingdom, to be brought by his Holy Spirit to a place of repentance, to then realize that we have hope, that we have hope past death, that if we hear anything from the Lord by means of his spirit and his word, we've not been abandoned. People of God, I appeal to you to believe the gospel in community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Even the dark texts, what a glorious passage that shows us Jesus. What a serious passage that shows us sin and the consequence of rejection from you. Would today, Holy Spirit, if it's your will, would you turn hearts that have been rejecting you to believe in you? Would we turn and see that on The cross, Jesus became sin for us so that you would not abandon us. He died and paid the the wage for sin that we don't have to pay. Give us faith in that now. Make us obedient unto life. We pray in his name. Amen.